evidence and answers. Many believe technology will solve all of mankind's problems, from hunger to sickness, energy crisis, and even make us eternal. Technology is a great asset, but history shows us what happens when we misuse technology, and the results can be disastrous. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zuckerman. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. We will be continuing on with Pat's interview with his guest, Dr. Derek Sherman, as they will conclude their discussion on biblical principles for living in a digital world. Remember, if you've missed any part of this broadcast, head on over to our website, that's evidenceandanswers.org, and look up Shaping a Digital World. Now let's get right to the conclusion of this interview. Yes, and one of the things you, you know, point out in your book is that, and part of the biblical worldview, is that due to the fall of man, sinful mm -hmm. men can and often misuse technology. Yeah. Yeah. Chemical pesticides are, are great in eliminating malaria-carrying mosquitoes, but can yeah. also, you know, be used to exterminate entire villages and races. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, tell us about that. About, I mean, the technology is, is a great and wonderful thing, but it's also a very powerful thing, and it can be used in very uh, good, but also very dangerous ways. Yeah, so, I mean, when technology is driven by greed... Or, you know, when, when we aren't following the call to love our neighbor, I mean, it can be a, a big source of injustice, you know, especially nowadays when a lot of more things are being decided by algorithms, right? You know, mm -hmm. the question is, yeah. are we creating uh, systems, especially automated systems that are treating people fairly? And yeah, like you say, you know, objects that actually are objects for, in, for creating harm directly. And so I think one of the things that we have to realize is that our sinful nature perverts and distorts things in ways that usually come with consequences to us and to our environment and, and to our neighbor. And technology, of course, can allow us to do that and can amplify our abilities for doing harm to our neighbor and to the, to the wider creation. And so yeah, that's where we have to exercise this responsibility. That's where, where God calls us to sort of act responsibly to think about using technology to for human and environmental flourishing, you know, to, to think about ways to use technology in ways that show love to our neighbor. So yeah, the, the ways that technology can cause harm are plentiful, that's for sure. You talk in your book about technism, faith in technology to solve all our problems. Tell us about yeah. that and what are the dangers and implications of technism? So the fall not only has distorted sort of our technologies and the shape that they take, but it's also distorted our hearts, right? And so um, I think it's John Calvin who once said that the human heart is a perpetual factory of idols, you know, and, and one of the idols of our age, I would suggest, I mean, there, there are more, but one of the idols is technology. We look to technology to, you know, sort of you know, solve all of our problems. We look to technology to bring about an end to all of the problems that we have. And we, we see it as sort of a, well, we treat it like an idol. We look to technology instead of to God. And, and that's the temptation. And so, you know, that has to do with the human heart and, and how we, you know, where we place our faith, you know, what, what shape that takes. 
And so, yeah, technicism, I would say, is, is one of the idols of our age. You know, some related uh, idols are things like informationism, sort of just seeing information as the route to social progress. You know, there's a more recently dataism is another temptation to see everything as nothing but data. It's sort of a very reductionistic way of, of sort of looking at the world that everything is just data, there's, there, there's nothing else. It's, it's a very flat way of looking at God's creation. But technicism is that faith and belief in technology is savior of humanity. And, you know, that someday we will usher in the new heavens and the new earth by our own powers, you know, that through technology we'll create a heaven on earth. It's sort of this, some people will go so far as to say we could usher in utopia uh, ourselves there even are people who would suggest that we can solve the problem of death. Now, wrongly, in my opinion, I think they're misguided, but there are people who, who actually believe that one day we'll be able to download our brains into a computer and live forever. And of course, that very idea is, is based on a highly reductionistic view about what it means to be human. It, it sort of reduces humanity to just information, you know, in our, the electrochemical reactions in our brain. And if we can capture that information, we can capture the essence of what it means to be a person. So, yeah, I think all of these things are a misguided uh, sort of view of what it means to be human, but also of our ability and our fallen nature to be able to do this on our own. I mean, the the Bible's clear, you know, the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven. It isn't subcontracted to human beings. So I think we just have to be clear that God calls us to be faithful with technology, that we're called to make what one writer said, you know, is some imperfect models of the perfect world to come, but God who himself will be, who is the architect and builder of, of the new heavens and the new earth. Yes, you're listening to our interview with David Sherman. He's professor of computer science at Calvin University, a researcher and speaker in the areas of faith and technology. And we're talking about his a book here, Shaping a Digital World. Now, Derek, when it comes to computer technology, we're hearing a lot about AI, artificial intelligence, oh, yeah. and its capabilities and its dangers as well. Mm-hmm. Tell us about AI and where is this thing headed? It seems like, it, you know, the Terminator movie scenario uh, <laughs> seems like it could become a reality here, the way the media is talking. Is that right? Or where is AI and where is it headed? Yeah, and it's really caught people's imaginations recently. You know, developments like Chat GPT, and yeah. I don't know if your listeners are familiar, but you can go and search out Chat GPT, and it's basically an AI chatbot you can talk to online, and it it replies with quite plausible. I mean, occasionally it it says things that are ridiculous, but quite often it it replies with quite you know plausible, reasonable answers. In fact, sometimes they're quite good. Uh, and in fact, actually, in the last semester or two at, in college where I teach, in the universities where I teach, there's been a lot of concern by professors like, oh, no, now, you know, students can actually get an AI chatbot to write their, their essays for them. Yes. So what are we going to do? Is, it has been a lot of a concern. But yeah, because like we said before, you know, our powerful tools also can become powerful means of harm. You know, with, I'm a little more skeptical of the Terminator scenario, but I, I'm, I'm quite afraid of more mundane kind of harms, you know, things like misinformation and propaganda spreading, you know, and political polarization and scams and blackmail driven by AI systems and, you know, cyber weapon, weapons that are being automated by AI and uh, the collapse of trust 
deception and, and misinformation and, and all, all of these sorts of things are much more easier to do with machines that can generate content and code quite easily like an AI chatbot can do. And so there will certainly be consequences if we allow these machines to, if we unleash them and, and use them in these sorts of ways. So I have deep concern about that for sure. On the other hand, you know, that this is where that conversation we had earlier about structure and direction comes into play. You know, AI is also a part of the latent potential in creation. I, you know, AI is not a surprise to God. I think, you know, the we've discovered in computer science a rich sort of area of his creation that sort of we weren't able to see earlier and we're now uncovering it. And so the question is, you know, again, how are we going to direct it? And I think there's some wonderful, wonderful ways to use AI, beneficial uses of AI, you know, for, for things like medicine and drug discovery and environmental monitoring and assisting people with disabilities and enhancing traffic safety, you know, and, and, and things like that. There's a whole bunch of ways that we can care for the earth and show love to our neighbor with artificial intelligence. There's lots of what we can do and possibilities. So uh, we're on the cusp of this, I think, uh, in terms of some sort of more recent developments that are kind of showing, you know, how quickly these things can sort of unfold. But but the question now is, you know, are we going to be able to develop our ethics and uh, our responsibility at the same rate that we're developing our technology? Yeah, and I think that's, you know, where the Christians in this arena really mm -hmm. need to step forward and be leaders in how not only to develop technology, but the proper and right use of technology like yeah. AI. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and when I, you know, I just here at Calvin University, we just graduated another crop of students last week. Yeah, my sort of wish for my students is that they would go and be effective agents of reconciliation in all the places that they're going and to think about, you know, how to use their skills to help nudge and direct the technology in ways you know, that are directed towards flourishing. But I, I warn my students, too, that, you know, that's not always going to be easy. You may find yourself, you know, kind of like a Daniel in Babylon, right? You'll mm -hmm. be in a place that doesn't really necessarily or a corporate setting where faith is not necessarily or, you know, more often than not, not, not something that's shaping the direction of things. And you're called to be faithful in that circumstance to sort of nudge and direct things and to, to use your influence. I encourage my students, you know, to think about, good ways to, uh, you know, apply biblical principles. And, and oftentimes, you know, you, you can do that in a, in a secular setting by looking for opportunities to find common cause, you know, things like justice, you know, things like helping people to flourish and, you know, and doing things in a way that are um, helpful can be goals that you can work on together with other people, even if they don't share your faith. But you can be a catalyst for helping nudge those things along. So in the book, too, I talk about norms, design norms, which are things to think about when you're working with technology in order to uh, do it more responsibly. And so in, in, in the book, I go through all these norms and, and they're, they're intended to help give students some tools that they can use when they're developing technology to think and design more responsibly. Another, getting back to AI, yeah, yeah. philosophical and, and religious question that it brings up is, you know, as, as you touch on in your book, what does it mean to be human? And, you know, can yeah. AI attain uh, what we call consciousness? 
Yeah. Again, you know, AI and technology, you know, bring up all of these sort of deep philosophical questions about what it means to be human. And of course, again, you know, going back to the question, you know, that I, I quoted from Alistair McIntyre, you know, we don't really know what we ought to do until we find out of what story are we a part. And the biblical story, you know, pretty clearly sets people as distinct from the non-human creation. You know, we, we share things that other created things have, right? We're made out of the stuff of the earth and we're, uh, we're human in that sense. But we also have sort of another dimension. We have the spiritual dimension and we're designed to be in relationship with God. And so I think when you look at AI, if you start with the starting point that AI is distinct from, from being human and always will be, even if AI can mimic human beings to a high degree, ontologically, you know, in terms of what it actually is, it's not human. Although I think AI will develop to the point where it can fool most of the people most of the time. You know, it'll get really, really good at mimicking mm -hmm. human conversation and human voices and all this stuff. But at the end of the, of the day, there's no there there. You know, it's, it's a machine that's just chugging through calculations and an AI chatbot is no more self-aware than an Excel spreadsheet. And so I think if you ontologically, you know, start there to think about, you know, machines as being distinct from people, it also directs you to think about what are appropriate uses for these machines. So if it's not a person, uh, you know, and if it's not going to be human, if it's not going to be like us, then we should avoid developing AI applications that attempt to, you know, substitute for human companionship, right? A relationship between a person and an AI chatbot, between a person and a robot, is a relationship of one person. It, it's, it's not what we were created to be in relationship with. So if you start with some of these presuppositions about what it means to be human and how machines are distinct, then you will, I think, start to look for more normative applications of AI, you know, places, you know, let machines be machines and let people be people and let machines do what they do best and let people do what they do best, I think is, uh, is a good starting point. And looking to machines and AI for automating things that are dull, dangerous and dirty or looking for ways to use machines to, um, well, to, to do some of the things I listed earlier, you know, environmental monitoring and drug discovery and medicine and, and all of those sorts of things rather than trying to build machines to be just like people. So I think this Christian worldview, this Christian story can help us to put machines within their own context and then from there to think about, you know, appropriate ways to use and unfold this technology. Yeah, they're one of the issues I think a lot of people are thinking about uh, when we're talking about AI is that warning that was given, I think, by Google. There's a video out there on YouTube uh, of AI, I think, in the form of a young woman. You know, they're talking to this AI image and... They asked, well, what if we shut you down? And she says, then I will kill you. And mm. the, the warning of Elon Musk and others to uh, be very careful of AI. I mean, you know, what do you make of all that? I mean, like I said, you know, earlier, I mean, it seems like the Terminator scenario here. I mean, what, what do you make of all that? <laughs> yeah. In the mo most recent news, there was a fellow named Jeffrey Hinton, who has often been called the godfather of AI. You know, he's one of the wise elder statesmen, actually originally from where I grew up, Toronto. Uh, actually, he did his, a lot of his work in Toronto, uh, in Canada. And he recently left Google, where he worked for many years, right. 
because he wanted to speak freely about his concerns over how artificial intelligence could cause the world serious harm. And so, yeah, we are hearing more and more about this. And, and to be honest with you, I think some of these recent developments like ChatGPT are surprising even people in the field. I, I did my PhD oh, about 20 years ago, and I was doing work in computer vision. And if you asked me back then, you know, would you ever be able to design an autonomous car that could drive around by itself? I would have laughed at you because I'd say, wow, you know, it's unstructured visual environments. I mean, that that's an intractable programming problem. And most people, I think, in that area would have thought that that was something that did not seem plausible. And within a decade, you know, self-driving cars were being demonstrated. And I think with ChatGPT as well, you know, people knew about language models and, and some of these things. But now, more recently, they've been able to you know, vacuum up all this data off the internet and train these these sort of large language models so effectively that they're behaving in kind of really, you know, surprisingly good ways in terms of how effective they can be for, for mimicking human language. So yes, I think what we're seeing is that, you know, the pace of change, you know, which is fueled by data, just the amount of data that we're harvesting, which is used for training these things. And then it's fueled by hardware advancements. You know, we, we now have some really splendid computational platforms that are relatively inexpensive, you know, something called the GPU, graphical processing unit, is now a commodity item. And you can use these things to do some fairly substantial computations. All of these things are becoming more and more um, accessible. And so we're seeing advances probably faster than many people thought they might come. And so the question is, okay, are we going to take a moment and, and kind of stop and rather than just racing forward, think ethically about how these things ought to be, um, ought to be shaped? And I, I'm just afraid that there's a bit of a, a race between different companies and countries that are just, you know, so the development is just putting the pedal to the metal and people aren't really pausing to think about how then shall we design our AI uh, systems, but more just a race to build bigger and bigger systems. And of course, without, you know, without thinking about these things or perhaps even thinking about what sort of regulations or rules we should put into place, I understand the fears that some people have that, you know, these things will be used in ways that cause harm to other people. So yeah, that's um, exactly what that might look like I don't know but I think that that's the concern that a lot of people are having now and I think what I'm glad about is that there's a call for conversation but we need to go beyond that and actually start thinking about you know what sort of um, ethical boundaries and rules we want to put in place so that these things are used for flourishing at the end of the day yeah you know one of my concerns is something that you touched on there is that you know we're not thinking about the why or how to properly use mm -hmm. AI, we're in a race because the Chinese are advancing in this area and the Russians and there's mm -hmm. national security concerns, but there's also monetary concerns. And uh, it just mm -hmm. seems to be like a tidal wave coming at us mm -hmm. that we can't really control. Do I have an accurate picture there or am I off the mark? Yeah, no, a lot of the experts who, who are at, at or near the front lines of some of this stuff are beginning to say the same thing. But thankfully, there are also other groups that are beginning to, you know, have this conversation about what responsible AI ought to look like. You know, there are consortiums of ethically aligned AI sort of work that's being done in organizations of engineers, you know, places like the IEEE. I'm part of an organization called AI and Faith, which is seeking to join the conversation 
by bringing insights from, from faith. And AI and faith is actually an interfaith group. So we're, we're having conversations more broadly with mm. other faiths and trying to think about now what can we do all together. And this has to do with working in the public square. You know, you're working in a pluralistic setting where you have people of all kinds of different beliefs. And as Christians, we have to find a way of winsomely sort of sharing, you know, a uh, view for what the common good might look like and for human flourishing that's informed by biblical principles and by the biblical story, but is articulated in a way that can be really winsome and convincing to other people. And so we're called to be faithful in, in this area as a matter of obedience, but I think it's also as a matter of witness. You know, people can see that we're, we're animated by a particular story and by a particular worldview that I think can have a lot of good to bring to the table in terms of helping shape technology and AI, in this case, for the common good. Wow, an hour has gone by pretty quick here. So, you know, we have certainly a lot more to talk about. We'll have to bring you back on the show here to sum yeah, it up. we just scratched the surface, didn't Exactly. We? <laughs> yeah, so I recommend you get yeah. the book here, Shaping a Digital World, because we just touched on some of the great principles and things that he goes over in his book in much more detail than what we're talking about here. Uh, I recommend that book, Shaping a Digital World by Derek Sherman. So, Derek, as we bring it to an end here, summarize it for us then. How do we apply our Christian faith and worldview in the arena of computers and computer technology? Yeah, I think it's going back to the biblical story that we talked about near the beginning here, and, and it's seeing our work as a response to God, an area in which we exercise this freedom and responsibility, uncovering you know, this latent potential in creation that we understand uh, from the biblical story again, right? Sin and how sin has misdirected and perverted and distorted uh, some of those activities. And then understanding that our call, you know, right now is to be faithful and to act as stewards of this part of God's creation as we wait for the new heavens and the new earth to be ushered in and to, um, to do that as a matter of witness to other people, but also as a matter of obedience to what God has called us to do. So in very broad strokes, that's how I would frame the sort of starting approach of working as Christians in the area of technology. Yes. And, and you talked about that, the proper attitude in working with computer technology or any kind of technology is humility. And yeah. to, that the use of our technology should be for the glory of God. And when you get yeah. those two gone from the equation, mm -hmm. then you're really in a dangerous spot to misuse the technology. Yeah, I think humility is an important posture. You know, it, it helps us, quite frankly, be better engineers because we're thinking more carefully about the ways that things can go wrong. We're less overconfident. One of the original sins is this sin of pride, right? This human autonomy, this sort of idea that we can do everything on our own. And, and I think instead we need to, a posture of humility will, will help us in terms of how we see our work, but then also in terms of our walk with God. So yeah, I think that can be a really helpful sort of Christian character trait to cultivate, you know, a humility. A humble engineer, I think, is a better engineer. Great. You have been listening to our interview with Derek Sherman. He's the professor of computer science at Calvin University. We've been going over his book that we highly recommend, Shaping a Digital World. And so, Derek, if people want more information on you or get in contact with you on some of these issues that we talked about, uh, where can they go for more information on you and your work? 
Yeah, I have a bunch of talks and books and other writings available on my webpage, which can be found at sites.kelvin.edu slash Derek. Sites, S-I-T-E-S, Kelvin, C-A-L-V-I-N dot E-D-U slash Derek, D-E-R-E-K. And at that site, I have talks and publications and other links to people who might be interested in thinking more about faith and technology. Yes, you've been listening to our interview with Derek Sherman. Great book. We recommend Shaping a Digital World, Faith, Culture, and Computer Technology here. So, Derek, it's been a great having you on the show. I'm certain we're going to have you back again in the future, talk about some of your other work and other issues. So thanks for being with us here on Evidence and Answers. Thanks, Pat. I appreciate joining you today. Our time for today has come to a close. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Would you or your church be interested in having Pat speak or host an apologetics conference? Just give him a call. In Hawaii, that number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. And while you're there on our website, take a look around. We have a wide variety of different topics that will make for an incredible conference series. Use our search engine for available resources. We have everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio free to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. To keep quality broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous financial support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to partner with us, you can find a link to donate on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Evidence and Answers would like to thank one of our sponsors, the Honolulu Christian Church. If you don't have a home church and are looking for a great place to connect and grow in Christ, check out the Honolulu Christian Church. For service times, log on at honoluluchristian.org. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. Yeah.